Welcome to the Design Mind Frogcast. Each episode, we go behind the scenes to meet the people designing what's next in the world of products, services, and experiences, both here at Frog and far, far outside the pond. I'm Elizabeth Wood. Today on our show, we're talking about the future of mobility. To tackle this topic, we're joined by four experts in the space. Greg Lindsay, futurist, author, and urban tech fellow at Cornell Tech Jacobs Institute. Anna Younga, Vice President and Head of Customer Transformation at Frog. Sean Rhodes, Executive Creative Director at Frog. And Dr. Philip Hoff, Global Head of Smart Mobility Connect at Capgemini Invent. To dig in even more about mobility, you'll definitely want to check today's show notes for a link to download the new Frog report, The Road Ahead. But first, let's jump in. The way we use cars is changing. The expectations towards mobility is changing. It's about making a choice. We're on the cusp of you know, unbundling the vehicle and having this sort of Cambrian explosion of form factors that range from personal electric vehicles down to micromobility. When we start to think about the car not as something to get you from point A to point B anymore, but it is a connected node on a network, amongst you know, many other vehicles. It's moving from products to platforms. This is a great chance in the upcoming years for the automotive industry if they do it right. A recurring theme in conversations on the future of mobility is the way it shapes the world around us. Our first guest, Greg Lindsay, Urban Tech Fellow at Cornell Tech Jacobs Institute, has spent a lot of his career exploring the intersection of mobility, technology, housing, and city infrastructure. Currently, He's leading an initiative called the Metaverse Metropolis, all about the impact of augmented reality at the scale of urban life. Here's Greg now. I guess the theme for me with urban mobility is what makes a good city or makes a functioning city? There's a great description by Louis Betancourt, who's a physicist by training, who's now at the Mensueto Institute in Chicago, that a city is kind of like a star. It's like a giant reactor where you compress people in space and time and you get fusion. And instead of, you know, light and heat like a sun, you get ideas and innovation and wages and people and better living. And transportation is the key to that compression, right? Like mobility is our ability to compress ever greater numbers of people in space and time. And like, that's why I love the New York City subway. It's like probably the greatest machine in the United States for compressing people. It's like, to me, the keystone urban system that makes everything else possible. Given what we've seen in America the last 75 years, the automobile, which is its own sort of miraculous machine in terms of you can live and work anywhere in a metro area. For many workers in a post-pandemic world, remote and hybrid work life has changed the daily grind of rush hour commuting forever. Meanwhile, these shifting work paradigms are introducing different ways of living and entirely new ways of thinking about the vehicles we need to get around. There's this whole debate about whether you know new mobility technologies are centripetal or centrifugal. Like, do they work best close together where you can increase access and decrease time because you're just covering less geography or they, you know, centrifugal where it's, you know, pushing people out to the periphery. And, you know, we used to have this debate about autonomous vehicles if and when they ever come, but you can see this in all these other services. On the centripetal side, like micromobility is the big one at various scales and, you know, forms of hyper quick delivery and to some degree as well. I mean, obviously my heart's with centripetal, but the pandemic has really underscored how much centrifugal energy went into this and how many people moved to big Sunbelt metros and trying to deliver those services to them. I'm starting to imagine the dispersal that becomes possible with algorithmically guided or autonomous buses or other kind of low-cost services that allow you overnight travel. And you know, various AV companies have done this as well. I think Volvo imagines a sleeper AV. 
So yeah, those are all part of that sort of you know large scale centrifugal forces that would propel you way outside cities, which perhaps in a hybrid work future starts to happen. I do generally think, by the way, that like many of America's problems would be solved by really good high-speed bus service. It's like the obvious solution that we still haven't really tried. Historically, having a car has meant driving it to where you want to go and parking it somewhere until you need it again. Today, businesses are experimenting with new vehicles and related services built around new forms of convenience. For the last 80 years, we've had the car and trucks and things like this, and I definitely think we're on the cusp of you know, unbundling the vehicle and having the sort of Cambrian explosion of form factors that range from personal electric vehicles down to micromobility, and then sort of scales up from there to autonomous trucking for various distances and everything in between. I am curious about autonomous delivery robots and, you know, what scales to those work or other forms of delivering services. Just an example, there's a new robotic pizza startup called Stellarworks, former SpaceX engineers. It's a truck that has pizza ovens in it, and it drives to a place where people gather around. I guess I bring this up because I guess if I had to guess on dominant urban form post-pandemic or where these contradictions come to play, it's going to be in the sort of next generation of these new walkable enclaves out in the exurbs of major American metros, like, you know, McKinney, Texas and Frisco and, you know, Alpharetta, Georgia and some of these other places where, yeah, people want to go to a place where they can walk and be close together, but they also want to drive home. And that's very American. So We'll see how those sort of play out. Micromobility on the ground when you're in there, and then maybe it's a car that you're driving home and then those services delivered to you. I've seen pandemic pressure cause a lot of this to happen. We went from delivery robots to autonomous stores. You know, Tortoise, for example, the startup that made the autonomous scooter, which is perhaps nearest and dearest to my heart. Like, I love the idea of walking out of a building, something's waiting for me, I ride it, it drives itself away. That to me is like, feels like magic. But they've also like now have little robots where you can tap a credit card and purchase things. And that will start to scale in complexity in all sorts of ways. Another major conversation in the future of mobility involves the potential rollout of autonomous vehicles. Greg shares why there's reason to think AVs are about a lot more than self-driving cars. It feels like we've entered autonomy winter and to see a figure like Anthony Lewandowski having shifted completely out of autonomous passenger vehicles to just doing autonomous like heavy duty construction equipment which I think is smart. If I had a startup, which I definitely do not, I would be focusing on like the lowest of the lowest hanging fruit, which would be those extreme edge case industrial uses, which is also why I think, you know, autonomous delivery with the cheapest manner possible is probably a better bet than anything carrying passengers. I like to say we'll have autonomous everything before we'll have autonomous vehicles. Self-driving cars is the horseless carriage of, of autonomy, this sort of carried over use case. It's really going to be about just sort of like low cost urban robotics fulfilling a lot of functions. And, you know, that we already see. There's robot guards, which, uh, you know, outside various office buildings, we can start to see other forms of urban robotics come into play well before we entrust the, our loved ones inside of an autonomous vehicle. I guess what I would say is comes back to is like mobility, urban mobility is a public good. Again, it underscores all models of real estate, what makes real estate valuable, and it underscores how cities function. Changing ideas around vehicles also means changing the ways we purchase them. To keep up with customer expectations, traditional dealerships are investing in ways to make purchasing a vehicle a more meaningful, tech-enabled experience. I remember several years ago, I was interviewing Scott Keogh, who was then running Audi of America and then Volkswagen of America, and now he's left to run their break-off business, their new electric SUV. I remember talking to Scott about this on stage for Fast Company, and you know, he admitted the time when I was talking about data and subscription models. First, he admitted that like we're a strange business where we sell you an asset for like $80,000 and you drive away and we never hear from you again. Crazy in today's age. I think I'm very interested 
having spoken to those dealers about the long-term transformation of dealerships into white glove service and, and handling that as a customer facing interface, however they evolve versus, you know, sales dealerships and, you know, handling repairs, given the, the longer term, lower TCO of these kinds of vehicles, it's a very different proposition. So it'll be very interesting to sort of see. And, you know, again, we've seen Ford and also Buick and some of the GM brands telling their dealerships point blank, spend millions of dollars on upgrades, on charging, or, or you're done. Like that kind of rebellion against the dealership network is very interesting because they realize they need to have that experience. Of course, the reach of mobility businesses goes much further than the automotive space. Greg shares how industry disruption is already coming from unlikely places. The most fascinating mobility companies in the world have got to be the Asian super apps, which have like taken everything we know of in North America, like Uber and Lyft, and just turbocharged it, right? It's like studying like Gojek up close out of Indonesia, which is now part of GoTo, which really merged with Tokopedia. And like, it's fascinating that basically mobility apps became the gateway drug to new forms of fintech in unbanked society. If you don't have banking, you will find yourself using a ride-hailing app and then getting yourself a digital wallet to use that app. And then suddenly you're now doing e-commerce. And so, yeah, I think what they're doing is utterly fascinating. And yeah, it has to do with the fact that they don't have the same kind of regulated financial sector, at least not in the way we know it in, the, in North America. But yeah, what those companies have done is, is stupendous in the sense of like, you know, use that as the tip of the spear and then penetrate it and then hang all sorts of services around it. And I can't say too much about it because it was off the record, but I did have a conversation with a founder of a startup who was trying to apply that model elsewhere. And a couple of like things stood out. And this is sort of what Uber did. I mean, to lend people vehicles, electric motorcycles or trikes, they had to build their own proprietary credit scores. So using FinTech to build private credit scores, which good and bad, you know, I hope that model is transparent. We understand how that works. Designing their own mapping layer so they could deliver it very cost affordably, more than like API calls to Google and others. And it's just fascinating how they had to build this entire software stack that, once again, they would deploy mobility into new markets, capture that wallet, and then once you have that, you have everything. In the end, it becomes financialization. And, you know, again, we've seen this in the U.S. as well. Uber debit cards for their drivers, you know, offering the financing of vehicles, which, again, very double-edged sword. But, you know, they were offering financial services to the drivers, and then the Uber credit card and its rewards program with dining was instrumental in building up the Uber Eats side of the business and leading Uber into the ghost kitchens thing, where they were using geographic data of meal purchases to understand opportunities of where they could convince restaurant owners to launch new brands on their platform and expand the depth of the platform, which saved them as a company during the pandemic. There's a saying in fintech, I guess, you know, either die a consumer goods and services company or you live long enough to be in financial services. And I think mobility companies will all go that route. Next up, you're going to hear from Sean Rhodes, executive creative director in Frog's Brooklyn studio and a previous guest of our show in an episode called Creating Value in the Attention Economy. For Sean, determining what lies ahead in the future of mobility will first require truly understanding what people want their vehicles to do. Here's Sean now. There's this theory called jobs to be done, and it was created by this guy, Leighton Christensen, who was at Harvard Business. The classic example is, you know, nobody wants a half-inch drill bit. They want a half-inch hole. So they hire the drill to do the job of getting them a half-inch hole. The whole theory is, if you can more deeply understand the motivation and why a consumer wants to hire your brand or your product, then you can better serve it. In transportation, right, like, it was the horse was being hired to get you in, then it was the train, then it was the car. Oftentimes when we're kind of in a moment of technology change or cultural change, I think the lens of jobs to be done is really kind of useful. 
because the technology changes, but the underlying job doesn't. The reason why we hire vehicles is to get us or things from point A to point B. But inside the vehicle, we have a stereo. We've got you know headrests with entertainment in them. We've got massaging seats. We have all these other things in the vehicle that we've put in there five or six years ago. A big stat was the reason why someone would buy one car over the other is how it would integrate with like their iPod or their smartphone. Right. So it kind of turns that on its ear of like, yeah, we're in a car to get from point A to point B. But what's driving our preference, what's driving our decisions, we're hiring or buying that car for a totally different set of reasons. During our conversation, Sean shared how intertwined the worlds of mobility and commerce can be. One of my favorite quotes is Carl Sagan said mass automobile ownership was foreseeable, but what wasn't was Walmart. And I think the implication is, as Americans were starting to be able to buy vehicles and major highways were being created to get people in and out of cities, it gave birth to a different type of commerce, which led to Walmart, big box stores, things like that, and dramatically reshaped the context of suburban living. And I think where we're at now with connected vehicles is analogous I think we're kind of getting to a similar point with software, where software has been in pockets of our lives for a long time, but increasingly getting more and more integrated into all facets of the world. It's this idea of software eating the world that's getting into absolutely everything. It's similar to the automobile in the 50s, where it's becoming structurally embedded in society. Modern connected vehicles have you know, 300 sensors on them of all different types and shapes. If you think about when you're browsing on the web or on, on your smartphone, all of the data points that you are dropping and are getting picked up in those travels, imagine similar data being collected and distributed from a connected vehicle driving through a city. When we start to think about future mobility businesses, those are some of the things that are really exciting is how that data will be collected, anonymized, and then monetized. To compete, automotive OEMs are having to adapt to the diverse ways consumers are looking to navigate this new world of mobility. I think that typically what many OEMs have done in terms of customer experiences, they've made the vehicle, they've had a third-party franchisee sell and service the vehicle and manage the majority of the CX. And the reason why that model existed is that CX, the customer experience, wasn't necessarily critical to the OEM success. And I think that's changing. You look at many of the great automobile businesses are actually moving to a more vertically integrated model. Polestar, for instance, is a spinoff of Volvo, their electronic vehicle business, and they're kind of hanging their hat on three big things. One is their design-forward business. They really have an incredible product. Their chief executive officer is actually a former car designer and has like a very passionate view. So they're hanging their hats on design. They have a very direct environmental message. And I think they also creating what they call spaces is a reimagining of a retail location to have a more direct relationship with consumer. And I think many of the more progressive 
OEMs are realizing that CX is a critical differentiator. And the way that I'm talking about CX is like kind of everything almost outside of the vehicle, outside of driving. It's your purchase, it's your servicing, maybe it's some of the connected services in the vehicle, but really kind of everything that a driver, owner, passenger does that isn't related to driving. I think that it's really becoming a critical differentiator in the space and a lot of OEMs, because they have franchises, because they have these relationships, find it hard to effectively deliver great CX that many consumers are expecting today and are figuring out ways to change that and manage that. From emerging tech to rising expectations, Sean shares why the entire automotive customer journey is now a testing ground for new ideas and processes. I think mobility companies or anybody playing in the mobility game should be really thinking about, there's a big shift. And I think the shift is in the old world, vehicles were created in a factory And then they were sent to a dealer and they were sent to the consumer or whoever was buying them. And it was a product, but it kind of moved in a very linear fashion from, you know, production, manufacturing into use. I think the future of mobility is going to be really different. I think the organizations that are going to create the most value, it'll be more of a platform business where they are orchestrating amongst a lot of different types of companies and those that can match the right people and services and products and and connections will benefit the most. We're going to take a short break. When we return, you'll hear more from our experts on what's next in the world of mobility. Hi, I'm Courtney Brown, Vice President of Business Development at Frog. This year, Frog is proud to be the exclusive sponsor of the design track at South by Southwest 2023 in Austin, Texas. We hope you'll join us to learn more about how designers, developers, artists, and creatives are building the world around us with purposeful intent and what it takes to embrace the power of provocation. We hope to see you at South by this year, and especially the design track, which is happening March 10th through the 14th. Now back to our show. Our next guest, Anna Younga, is Vice President and Head of Customer Transformation at Frog, part of Capgemini Invent. With a focus on automotive, Anna deals with cross-industry topics, including customer experience, customer relationship management, direct-to-consumer models, and customer loyalty. Here's Anna now. Ultimately, the argument for improving CX is pretty simple, in my point of view. Better CX makes for happier customers, which in turn leads to improved business performance. The focus should be, in our view, on CX initiatives that impact the customers the most to yield to higher returns and therefore, for example, greater experiences in car, but also connectivity and also an ecosystem can help as kind of an accelerator for those experiences with the customer and then, I mean, lead to higher profits on the automotive OEM side. It's worth investing into CX because CX is a great lever in different ways to really enhance the overall experience with the brand or with the automotive manufacturer. When we look at the automotive industry, more often non-automotive players So across different industries are setting the benchmarks for customer experiences in the automotive industry, pushing for radical change and putting increased pressure on traditional OEMs. And the entire customer experience has a significant influence on customer loyalty, which is 
including product quality experiences in the purchase process, but also in the usage process when it comes to experience with customer support or after sales. So it's not only about the product quality itself anymore. Of course, delivering on experiences is about more than any individual customer interaction. Anna shares why customer experience needs to be a holistic effort. We see that from different angles when we talk to different consumers, that there is a demand for seamless experiences and integration in the automotive industry. There is a high demand on personalization and interaction, but also on this emotional connection and satisfaction with the products, with the brand, with the service that can be set up with the help of a very superior customer experience management. Most companies do not manage to look at customer experience holistically. Most of the time we see inadequate organizational structures where CX is only just a part of a specific department and it's not cross-functional. We see a lack of overarching governance and orchestration of the different initiatives in different departments. So it has to be one direction. There has to be one vision. There is a little consideration of customer opinions right from the start. So if we talk about developing a car, there should be the customer voice right at the beginning when conceptualizing a car and not only in the sales and marketing and after sales part. And to wrap it up, there should be an adequate technology infrastructure that allows actually to setting up those kinds of experiences that are matching the software and the hardware and everything else that is important uh, also regarding, for example, building up an ecosystem. Outside the automotive industry, brand partnerships are a thriving business strategy already. Anna shares why blended mobility ecosystems reflect a premium first point of view. For example, Nike is uh, collaborating with Louis Vuitton. So there are a couple of exclusive partnerships that really lure people into the ecosystem of those brands to really get like the both of best worlds, being a Nike fan, but also having something that is very exclusive when getting with Louis Vuitton. And I think that Disney is exclusively working with Audi or Holoride in actually streaming. I think those could be differentiators in an ecosystem, providing a couple of those exclusive partnerships, especially to premium customers. An ecosystem needs to be actively managed and steered. To give you another example outside the automotive industry, for example, in the airline industry. As a customer of an airline, the customer journey includes various touch points with third-party providers, such as during the transport to the airport or at the security checkpoint, which can hardly be influenced by the airline itself. So companies need to be aware of this and therefore focus more on perfecting the aspects of the customer experience they can actually directly influence. So a failure of CX in this journey can result in lost revenue due to low customer satisfaction, increased costs um, due to poor service, or low employee satisfaction or brand equity. So that means setting up a customer ecosystem needs to be a response, especially for automotive OEMs, to enable an integrated and personalized product and service offering, and thus also a superior CX for the customers that are using services products in the automotive ecosystem. Creating a strong mobility ecosystem involves building, buying, and or partnering to combine products, services, and experiences in dynamic, adaptable, and fully customer-centric ways. Anna shares why these are all strategies that leading tech and e-commerce companies know well. When I said that 
customer expectations are mostly being shaped outside the automotive industry. I think there are a couple of companies that are setting up new standards as kind of pioneers when it comes to customer experiences. Just to name a few, Apple, for example, I mean, it's a, I think it's the most used example because they are very strong overall when it comes to product and service portfolio. But there is also like the big e-commerce providers, Alibaba, Amazon, that provide like a huge e-commerce platform that is shaping the portfolio for every other e-commerce provider because it combines the data analytics part and combines the personalization part based on what you've bought and where you're interested in. And then you have examples like Nike or Neo. So it's a sports example, but also an automotive example with Neo that really dive deeper into that community approach and really thrive on it because they're really engaging people onto the platform. Burberry is a great example when it comes to creating emotion, customer relationship management, and also Spotify. They're very personalized. I mean, all the playlists that are being set up for you based on your taste. So I think that what's really important here is what do all those companies have in common that I've listed? And those companies clearly put the customer into their focus of acting and thinking. When they make decisions about products and services and experiences itself, they always ask, what is the customer value? Why is it relevant for our customers to buy or to use those kinds of products? And this includes product and service development. This includes interaction with employees because CX is only as good as your employee experiences, the type of innovation that you choose, and they all make data and customer-centric decisions. So it's based on customer data, it's based on product data, and they decide based on what they know about their customers, what the next product or the next services will be. And this is creating a huge lever for great customer experience. So when looking at customer ecosystems, it's also a great task of every OEM to really communicate the customer benefit properly. So that means that I as a customer understand what benefits I get actually in moving around in this ecosystem and using different products and services. I think it's a two-way street that can be driven. There are a couple of things I think customers are expecting because the way we use cars is changing. The expectations towards mobility is changing. And then on the other hand, there are, as I said, different profit pools that can be tapped into, leverage different potentials. Mobility is about like how we move around and moving around not only means using the car. It's about making a choice which mobility solution I want to take in order to get where I want to be. This is not bound to just using the car, just owning a car. It could also be a sharing thing. And then there are different sharing options, but it also could be using intermodal and multimodal mobility options like taking an e-bike or taking a bike to somewhere, then getting a car, which is car sharing, and then using the train and then maybe also taking the plane. But in this ecosystem, OEMs need to find their position and they need to decide which things they want to offer besides only providing people with the opportunity to have a car. Finally, we're joined by Dr. Philip Hoff, Global Head of Smart Mobility Connect for Capgemini Invent. As an automotive consultant, Philip has spent over 13 years deeply focused on digital ecosystems, sales processes, and electric mobility. 
He shares why connected vehicles are changing everything about the ride. Today, customer experience is highly connected with digital opportunities. And the digitalization itself is the greatest challenge and also opportunity for the auto industry ever. While the core product of the auto industry is limited when it comes to customer centricity and individualization, you can individualize your rims or you have the choice between 20 different leathers. However, digitalization brings this to a new level. And if the automotive industry considers ecosystems that give their customers the chance to highly individualize the experience in the car and the companies that they are collaborating with to enable those ecosystems, the automotive industry has the best platform and base to be successful in the future. If and when fully autonomous vehicles ever become as common as traditional cars, Philip shares why connectivity will become even more relevant and mission critical for automotive innovation. Expectations with regards to autonomous driving were set really, really high by the automotive industry some years ago. However, during the last two to three years, I would say, expectations were lowered a lot because industry experienced quite some challenges bringing those solutions to the road. It's about weather conditions, it's about uncoordinated traffic, for example. While you have sunshine and pretty good road conditions, it's an easy one. But in times of heavy rain, foggy conditions, snow, it's quite a challenge. And the top challenge is that it has to work in every situation. The autonomous driving levels we will experience are far away from letting your car drive you to where you want to go. But there are a lot of experiences that are getting much better in the car. It's less stressful. You do not have to have a 100% concentration in every situation. For example, in a traffic jam, already today, there are cars that drive autonomously. And this gives you a lot of freedom on how to use the time spent in the car. The time that is spent today focusing on traffic and driving has the potential to be turned into valuable time or in-car experiences for customers in the future. For example, the time saved by commuters every day might add up globally to mind-blowing amounts of hours. Based on our research, automotive OEMs can tap into new value and revenue pools that potentially generate multi-billion revenues per year for additional time people spend on the mobile internet while in a car. According to research from Capgemini Invent, 75% of consumers expect to buy their next car online. During our conversation, Philip shared how the COVID-19 pandemic made e-commerce more essential than ever for automotive brands. When it comes to sales processes and customer experiences, Corona was quite a game changer because people are spending more time online, doing their shopping online, 
And this is the same for the car industry or the automotive industry. That's why they enabled quite some solutions that are helpful to stay in contact with their customers and display their products. And virtual reality is quite an outstanding opportunity to do so especially when customers are not willing anymore to spend that much time at the dealership. Or even when they spend time at the dealership, virtual reality is also a great opportunity to display your products and make the customers experience them. We expect it to be a central part of future customer journeys in the sale process and be an integral part of customer experiences. To sum it up, customer experience eats car performance for breakfast. And this is quite interesting. Based on our studies, 46% of customers would switch to a different OEM if it would deliver better customer experiences. The major change in the automotive industry over the past years is that customer experience, which was already a very prominent topic when it came to sales processes, much more was transferred now into the in-car experience and the possibilities that are given by a car. It's a secure place. It's quiet normally. You are on your own. It's very private. It provides great chances to spend quality time in the car. Of course, it's impossible to speak about even the near future of mobility without addressing electric vehicles. While EVs are currently responsible for 10% of all automotive purchases, this number is projected to quadruple by 2030. Philip shares why this will unlock innovative services and experiences in and around the car. One great example of disruption within the automotive industry is for sure refueling versus charging. The change from refueling an internal combustion engine to charging an EV is still a major challenge for the industry. And from the customer perspective, charging station availability and charging time are of greatest importance, of course. And while the availability of charging stations has already increased um, due to the expansion of the general charging infrastructure, there is still a potential undersupply projected when comparing the uptake of EVs. But overall, charging a car can be much more convenient than refueling it. I would like to give you an example that perfectly showcases what customers really want. Based on the research we did for our latest charging as a service study with more than 1800 participants, we found out that more than 70% of EV drivers are willing to wait longer at a charging station till their car is recharged. If they get offered, for example, relevant in-car experiences, like entertainment options, gaming options, options to read the latest news or to work in the car. More quality time in the vehicle could lead to better quality relationships between customer and brand, so long as automotive companies are able to deliver on the connected infrastructure and personalized interactions required. There are quite some opportunities to deepen relationships with customers, first of all, and that's where they are all doing quite a good job in the meantime is customer relationship management, to get to know your customer and to deal with customer data. Because this is the base to offer proper solutions, um, for example, connectivity solutions in the car. 
Based on our research, only 43% of drivers are currently satisfied with the connectivity services they are provided in their cars today. And there are big chances for automotive players. Customer loyalty increases up to 17% by improving experiences during the pre-sales phase, the sales and the after-sales phase. So there's a lot of potential in the I would say traditional automotive sales process. As soon as you switch to absolute and pure customer centric, each and every decision that is taken improves your mobility ecosystem because then you have an eye on what's relevant for your customers from getting to A to B and not to optimize only your own product to provide mobility. And I think this process is ongoing in the industry will take some more years. Not surprisingly, Apple delivers a primary example of a strong ecosystem that helps to better understand what successful ecosystems for automotive OEMs are about. The number of native apps by Apple are around 40, and the total number of apps available in the Apple App Store are 1.6 million. So the main principle that needs to be adapted by automotive OEMs is that ecosystems are strong because of providing users the choice to select the right service according to their individual needs. For Philip, being able to succeed in this new automotive landscape means understanding one thing. Ultimately, the future of mobility is a matter of choice. From my perspective, when it comes to mobility, choice is key. And the automotive industry has to ensure to be a relevant part of customers' mobility choices today and in the future. And this is quite challenging because mobility patterns of customers are very diverse depending on which area you live on this planet, in an urban area, rural area, somewhere in between. And across the globe, cars are an integral part of our everyday lives. At the end, it's about choice. And I'm absolutely sure that we will see mobility solutions from automotive players that will define the mobility of the future. This is a great chance in the upcoming years for the automotive industry if they do it right. That's our show. The Design Mind Frogcast was brought to you by Frog, a leading global creative consultancy that is part of Capgemini Invent. Check today's show notes for transcripts and more from our conversation. You'll also find a link to download the full Frog Report, The Road Ahead, featuring more from our experts, even more perspectives from frogs across the pond, and an interview with designer and author Thomas Thwaites, all about his ambition to design a truly harmless car. We really want to thank our guests, Greg Lindsay, Sean Rhodes, Anna Younga, and Dr. Philip Hoff for sharing their insights on the future of mobility. We also want to thank you, dear listener. If you like what you heard, tell your friends. Rate and review to help others find us, and be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Find lots more to think about from our global frog team at frog.co slash designmind. That's frog.co. Follow Frog on Twitter at at frogdesign and at frog underscore design on Instagram. And if you have any thoughts about the show, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out at frog.co slash contact. Thanks for listening. Now go make your mark.